Welcome to the Gaimia Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you're listening to the pod and trust that this message encourages your heart and faith today. At GBC, we're all about partnering with God in the renewal and restoration of all things. And it's our hope that through these sermons, you'll discover the life-changing power of Jesus. If you'd like to join us in person or online or find out more, check out our website at guymerebaptist.org.au. Good morning. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online and those of you here in the building. Uh, all I knew this morning when I woke was that I did not want to screw this one up. Uh, it's one thing to talk about the church being woke, I mean, that's easy, or dealing with Israel and premillennial dispensationalism, piece of cake, but to get on the wrong side of the Swifties would be culturally <laughs> catastrophic. And this is more than jokes about how this one might uh, end or go wrong. This is actually a kind of about a cultural phenomenon uh, uh, known as uh, Taylor Swift and the Taylor Swift effect. Uh, she is, if you don't know, she's big right now. Uh, on the current trend, she may never go out of style. Like, she is just out of this world. But I'd like to begin in an unexpected location, uh, the book of Acts. Uh, Acts chapter 1, it's immediately after Jesus has gone into heaven, and the angel has kind of told the disciples to stop staring and kind of get on with their lives, and they've kind of gone back into Jerusalem. And we, we hear this report uh, as Luke opens his story about the story of the church. Starting in verse 12 of Acts chapter 1. He says, then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scriptures had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared our ministry. He continues in verse 20. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the 11 apostles. Now, I preached in this passage last year. It was part of our series on discerning the invitation of God. Part of our purpose as a community of faith is to help people find their place in God's mission. And so to, to hear the invitation of God is actually fairly important. And I preached in this passage, and at the time, I drew your attention to what is missing in the passage. Always difficult to see because it's not there. Maybe you spotted it. There was no direct, clear invitation from Jesus to do what they did. Did you notice that? Jesus went into heaven, the angel said, get on with your life. They went and got on with their life and made this really important decision. It's the only thing Luke tells us between the ascension of Jesus and Pentecost. This was the only thing that he thought you needed to know, the appointment of Matthias to become the 12th apostle to replace Judas. But there is no burning bush. 
Uh, there is no parted sea. There is no angelic visitation. The angel doesn't come back and say, oh, by the way, forgot a couple things. You know how it is. Um, don't forget. No, none of that. Peter doesn't fall into a trance like he does later on and see a vision. There's no interpretation. None of that text takes place. What we find is that the apostles and those who are gathered with them are constantly in prayer and constantly reflecting on Scripture. Constantly before them are the words and actions of Jesus, the things that he had done and said and what he had pointed them towards and what he had promised in the coming of the Holy Spirit and the kingdom of heaven and all that was going to come and the scriptures before them. And in the midst of this constant reflection on Jesus and on the word, they come to this realization that, you know what? We should appoint a 12th apostle. You didn't have to be a really astute Jewish scholar to realize that there was a parallelism between the 12 apostles that Jesus selected and the 12 tribes of Israel, right? There was a parallel there. And so when Jesus was talking about the coming kingdom, there was something significant and symbolic about the 12. And so with no other words from Jesus, apart from Peter standing and saying, I think this is what we ought to do, and giving them a couple passages of scripture that are kind of ref had them reflected on, the group comes up with a set of criteria Again, the criteria doesn't come from Jesus. They don't kind of go back to the original interview questions that they received when Jesus appointed them to be apostles. You know, where would you like to be in five years' time? You're like, none of those sorts of things were asked. They just kind of come up with their criteria. Then they cast lots. There's a New Testament way to do church governance, which we have abandoned. <laughs> right? They cast lots. Now, the book of Proverbs tells us that while the lot is cast in the lap, it's every decision is the Lord's, but that's the decision that they make. And interestingly, Matthias, to my knowledge, is not mentioned again in the book of Acts, and the, symbol, the symbolism of the 12 never really gets played out in the rest, but nonetheless, Luke wanted us to recognize something about this early community of faith. Their eyes were on Jesus, and then they were speaking with one another about what they thought that that meant. Hold that thought. Some of you are thinking, I'm dying to see how this one ends. <laughs> or wondering, does he know what he's doing? But I do. So allow me to begin again. But this time, to tell you a little bit about Taylor Swift. Now, we are looking at the Taylor Swift effect, so I need to tell you a little bit about Taylor Swift, but I want to talk about the Swifties in particular. So unless you've been under a rock, you, should, you have heard the name Taylor Swift, and rightly so. Right now, she is, well... She's the biggest thing going, I reckon. There are very few people on the planet who would have more cultural influence than she does right now. In fact, if you look up the Wikipedia article that talks about the cultural influence of Taylor Swift, there's a, like a long list of maybe three dozen universities, including one in Melbourne, I believe, that offer studies and units in Taylor Swift. Uh, and then that's in part because of the, uh, her musicality and her lyricism, which is, which is excellent. There's a reason why she's been kind of at the top of the charts for the better part of 15 years. I mean, she's really, really good at what she does. Uh, you might look and study her business acumen. So there's been a whole bunch made out of the decision that she's made to re-record all of her earlier albums in order to regain control of the like intellectual property. Uh, she didn't have that control. Her original rights were sold through another person to an equity firm. She signed with a new label and is re-recording them all. And this is kind of this coup and this masterstroke of business and policy. She makes an enormous amount of money. Apparently last year she made more than the growth national product of 42 countries in the world. Uh, she is kind of 
pretty big, but it's her cultural influence that is quite remarkable. Let me, show, let me tell you a couple of stories to illustrate this. Uh, so if we go back to December last year when I was thinking a bit about this series, it was shortly after uh, Taylor Swift had begun, had begun to date a man named Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey is a tight end, a position on the American gridiron team, plays for the Kansas City Chiefs. He's a pretty big deal, a bit of a superstar in his own right, but he um, was nothing compared to his new beau. She shows up at the game, and the following things happen. Uh, the sale of Travis Kelsey jerseys spiked 400%. Uh, the number of women between the ages of 19 and 27 who tuned in to the NFL that weekend was up 30% across the whole day. I was watching the highlight package of the game. I kind of, I kind of followed the NFL a little bit. And it was remarkable because not only were the, the highlights that you would expect, you know, the long passes, the big hits, the good runs, the fumbles, they also, on several occasions in a 10-minute highlight package, tuned in to Taylor Swift in the box. Or, in one instance, the players turning away from the action to see if they could see Taylor Swift in the box. It was just kind of crazy kind of stuff. Uh, in Argentina, uh, the recent runoff election at the end of last year was, I think it's uh, uh, Javier Millet, I think it's his name, a right-wing politician. Uh, his pol his, his uh, runoff kind of, um, so he had to kind of go into a runoff for the presidency, uh, and that was put in jeopardy because all sorts of Swifties decided that they were not going to vote for a right-wing politician. And so they just organized, and it put his campaign in some jeopardy. He ended up winning the runoff, but it made news that the Swifties were now organizing to potentially vote against him. Last year, the Eras Tour, some of you have... Does anyone have tickets to the Eras Tour? No. I thought we might have one or two people, but nonetheless. Uh, the Eras Tour, the, it's their latest concert tour. It's raised like a billion dollars already. It's, got, it's, it's sold out seven shows in Melbourne and Sydney. It's nuts. And there it went on sale last year in the United States. Ticketmaster was charged with uh, kind of making sure that all happened smoothly, and it was a schmozzle. Uh, the website crashed, and then all sorts of tickets got sold to scalpers and showed up again on really ex extraordinary prices, all that sort of stuff. It became such a schmozzle that it led to a bipartisan congressional hearing into whether or not Ticketmaster had breached antitrust laws in the United States. Did you hear that? A bipartisan congressional hearing. Taylor Swift is so powerful, she got Democrats and Republicans who can't agree on the color of the sky to join together in a congressional hearing. It's nuts. Now, one of the things that's so fascinating about the influence that Taylor Swift has is that it's not so much what she says, it's actually what her Swifties do. So the Travis Kelsey thing is a really interesting one. Uh, Taylor Swift did not tweet before she showed up, hey, everybody, I'm going to the Chiefs game, you should all watch. She didn't say, hey, I'm dating Travis Kelsey, and it would just warm my heart if you kind of bought some merch. She just started dating Travis Kelsey, and showed up at the game. That was it. Her followers went, I'm going to get a Travis Kelsey jersey, and I'm going to go to the game, and I'm going to watch the game, I'm going to learn the rules. There's this 
famous kind of, well, I'm not sure it's famous, but it was this poster. Someone's at the game. Like, the Chiefs are great, but the big question is, where's Taylor? <laughs> Which suggested that someone bought a really expensive ticket to a game they didn't understand in order to catch a glimpse of Taylor Swift. And she didn't tell him to do any of that. She didn't organize the po political kind of movement in Argentina. They just decided to do that. And Taylor Swift, while she did tweet her disappointment in Ticketmaster's handling of the whole ticketing debacle, she was not the one who ended up leading to the congressional hearing. There were 50 lawyers who were also Swifties who actually formed a legal entity that was named after one of her songs, and they began gathering the information that led to the congressional hearing. You can see why I didn't want to get this wrong this morning. There's something remarkable about the connection that Taylor Swift has with her Swifties. And, and, and kind of examining that has been quite fascinating. There's all sorts of reasons why. You know, a number of reasons are given. Everything from the fact that she has, from the very beginning, worked very, very hard to uh, develop the relationship with her fans. She's very adept at social media, and so she's worked pretty hard at that. But she's managed somehow to take it beyond what we might call a normal parasocial relationship. A parasocial relationship is the term that's given to a relationship that you or I have with someone famous, in that we know a lot about them and they know nothing about us. Right? You may follow somebody, you might listen to their podcast or watch their videos or someone that you've read a lot about or whatever the case might be, and you know a great deal about them. And if you met them and had lunch with them, you'd have a lot to talk about because you know heaps about their life, and they would just spend a really kind of awkward hour talking to a random stranger. Taylor Swift has somehow managed to go beyond that. Some of what she does is linked to how she treats her fans. So she's uh, shown up at weddings for some of her fans. Uh, she took a fan to prom. She invites some random fans to her house to listen to the albums before they're released. Uh, she just does a lot of that kind of interaction with real fans. She just works real hard at that sort of space. One of the other components that has li it's been linked to it has been really about um, her vulnerability and the authenticity that she reflects in her lyrics. Uh, nearly all of her songs are kind of about her, like she's the main character. So when she's talking about heartbreak, it's not just a random heartbreak, it's her heartbreak. And because she's a very good lyricist, listening to her talk about her heartbreak resonates with my own, and there's a bond that's made. And then I meet other people who have that similar experience, and we both love and experience the same sort of thing. There's an authenticity that uh, Taylor Swift somehow manages to be able to maintain. Now, she is in very many ways just a girl from Nashville uh, who's a little bit klutzy in love and in life, even though she's this superstar. She's able to kind of maintain this down-to-earth, regular kind of person motif that I think makes her quite well-loved. But there's something about that community that she has formed that is just kind of next level. I think many of you have seen, you know, superstar acts rise and fall. I don't remember any of them taking the name of the people that they followed, right? I don't remember the Michael Jacksonites. I don't remember the Madonians. I don't remember the Beatleites. Like, like, I don't remember any of those things, even though they were massive acts. There's something that connects Swifties together. So one of the things, it was just 
kind of love when this happens. <clears throat> Opened up the City Morning Herald this morning on my phone and scrolled down, and guess what? There was an article on Taylor Swift. Uh, and it was all about the creation of friendship bracelets, which has come from one lyric of one of her songs. I think it's You're On Your Own, Kid. Uh, and the, the lyric is really nothing. It just says, so make the friendship bracelet. It doesn't say, you should do this and bring it to the concert and trade them. You should make hundreds of them and wear them all the way up your arm. Like, no, it doesn't say any of that, but a couple of Swifties went, I'm going to take that literally. And so there's a young girl, she's in Cronulla apparently, she's already made 50 bracelets. She's all ready to go uh, for when she wants to make more because she's got tickets to go to one of the shows. And she's going to go and she intends to, uh, to swap them. I read another article about a dad who took his 13-year-old daughter to one of the concerts. In the photo, he is wearing a shirt that says, I kid you not, Father of the Swifty. Uh, and he went to the concert, and there were lots of other parents who had brought their daughters to the, to the show, and, and a bunch of the moms had friendship bracelets. And so he came home with a whole set of friendship bracelets, which said things like Swifty Dad and, you know, all these sorts of things. It's just this thing that happens. There's this connection between them. Uh, there's a, apparently, according to the article, there's a, um, a place, I think it's in Newtown, that makes, they kind of do bracelet making Workshops. Well, they've jumped on the Swift bandwagon, and now there are groups of people who come together just to make Taylor Swift friendship bracelets. At the end of the kind of opportunity, they kind of swap and trade them with each other, and off they go. <laughs> There's just this kind of community of people who are as connected with each other as they seem to be with Taylor. It's just this really kind of unbelievable effect. And you can look into, you know, the economics of it and the influence of it. But one of the first articles, and this was the moment that I knew the connection that was going to happen here. <laughs> I hope, I hope, right? Um, one of the first articles I read was actually about community and influence. And the author was exploring a couple of different ways in which social influence happens. So on the one hand, there is what they would call <laughs> the one-step model of social influence, which is that Taylor tweets something, she posts something on Instagram, and I, one of her followers, reads it and I go, I'm going to do that too. Or I'm going to dress like that, or I'm going to get on board with that cause, or I'm going to like, right? That's just directly to me. Which suggests that then Taylor Swift herself has influence over millions of people. But the other model, which the author argued was perhaps from a social perspective much more likely, even though it's a little bit counterintuitive, is the two-step model of communication. Really complicated stuff, right? Uh, in which, basically, Taylor Swift's influence is not as great as we might think. And she's still very influential, but her influence is actually over a handful of people who then influence the people who they can influence. So think about the friendship bracelets. Taylor Swift did not say, you should all make friendship bracelets, and you should bring them to the concerts, and you know, make the friendship bracelets with lyrics of my songs, or you know, whatever the case might be. Didn't say any of that. A group of them somewhere thought, I'm going to do that. And then other Swifties who were watching the Swifties, with whom they share a great deal in common, because while well, we're both Swifties, thought, I'm going to do that too. And now, it's a thing. Taylor Swift did not say, buy a Travis Kelsey jersey, but some Swifty went, I'm going to buy a Taylor, I'm going to buy a Travis Kelsey jersey. And they probably took a photo of themselves going, I'm just, I just love Taylor Swift, and 
Travis, apparently. And next thing you know, all the other Swifties went, I'm going to do the same thing. And it's a thing all of a sudden. Here's the connection. Here's the connection I have made. Let me be clear, right? Here's the connection I have made. The Taylor Swift effect seems to me to be a secular model of discipleship. It's a secular model of discipleship, which actually has, I think, a little bit in common with Acts chapter 1. Taylor Swift does not tell her followers to do things very often. They just keep looking at her and watching her and reflecting on her lyrics, and then they do stuff, and it influences others who are also watching Taylor Swift but keeping an eye on everyone else. What did the apostles do in Acts chapter 1? Their eyes were just on Jesus and all that he had said and all that he had done and all that he had promised and the kingdom that was to come and the plans and purposes of God and the scriptures that were before them and they were with one another and they were talking to each other and they thought, this is what we are going to do that reflects that and they all went, yes, let's do that. And it's not the only time that that's happened. I'm going to touch on this briefly next week. The history of Christianity is in one sense one great big long story of groups of people focused and fixated on what Jesus is doing and talking with one another and saying, we should do this. Every so often, Jesus steps in and says, do this. Every so often, there's visions and prophecies and amazing, unquestionable miracles. But most of the time, what happens in these great, powerful, incredible movements that, that shape our culture are Christians focused on what Jesus is doing and then talking to one another and going, we should do this. And influencing one another on those purposes. It's the Taylor Swift effect. I mean, unfortunately, we're called Christians. We could be Christies. <laughs> but do you see the principle behind it? I mean, I, I don't want to talk, obviously, I'm not talking about T Taylor Swift's positions on uh, particular social issues. I don't want to talk about her personal life. I don't want to analyze her lyrics for what they may or may not say about what's good or bad in our lives and our world. But there's something quite profound about the community that she has shaped that pays a great deal of attention to her, as we can only do, it seems, in this kind of social media world, and then is in constant communication with one another to do things that Swifties do. Tell me that that's not what the body of Christ ought to be like. Tell me that we should not be absolutely fascinated and fixated with everything Jesus has said and done. I mean, there have been, for those of you who have been paying attention, there have been eight references to her lyrics in this little message. Eight Easter eggs, if you like. Easter eggs are not just the things that came into our coals and woolies on Boxing Day. <laughs> there are also hints and clues referencing things that are to come or things from the past. Taylor Swift loves doing it with her fans. Last year, Swifties nearly broke the internet, finding 34 million, no, 89 clues, but in 34 million hits in a 24-hour period. Look it up. It's bizarre. But tell me that we should not be as fixated on the things that Jesus did and said as Swifties are on everything Taylor does and says. Tell me that we should not be a community of faith marked by Acts chapter 1, where we are together and constantly in prayer. 
constantly before us the commands and the, the, in, the invitation of Jesus, the promises of Jesus, the, the coming pr- presence of the Holy Spirit. Tell me that that's not a model for discipleship. But not just me. It's not just me sitting in my room or my office having a conversation with Jesus about what I'm going to do. No, I need to be in conversation with other people who are likewise fixated on Jesus, absolutely smitten with everything that he said and did, wanting to do the same sorts of things, wanting to, be, to make a difference in the world because of it. And we have a much firmer basis to make a difference than the Swifties do, don't we? Because while Taylor Swift is a brilliant musician and a wonderful entertainer and probably by all accounts a really good person, ultimately she is not planning to restore and renew everything. The Taylor Swift effect, a secular model for discipleship. So I hope that you've kind of, I don't know, learned a little bit about what the heck is going on. But also, and I think this is true of just about any cultural phenomena, I think one of the things that I've noticed in terms of my own growth over time uh, is that I have become a little bit more capable of taking a cultural phenomena and not trying to critique it about whether it's good or bad, Christian or not Christian. I'm able to kind of take those things now and go, okay, there's a bunch of stuff in here that may or may not be particularly Christian or godly or helpful or whatever the case might be. But there's something here that if I just kind of pull it apart a little bit and look, it might actually lead me to deeper reflection on my own understanding of God or the world. That might lead to deeper reflection and encouragement about how it is that I follow Jesus. And that's what I hope in this. So I hope that you don't walk away kind of going, wow, he's a real Swifty and we should all start listening to Taylor Swift music. No, if you like her music, great, knock yourself out, right, fine. This is less about Taylor Swift and whether she's good or bad, woke or whatever the case might be. Instead, it's an interesting way for us to consider our own fascination with, well, with who? Are we really Christies? Are we Christians, utterly fascinated and taken by everything that Jesus has said and done and promised? And then are we deliberate and intentional on purpose in our relationships with one another that we together can be talking about what we think that maybe we should be doing as followers of the one to whom God has placed all authority in order that everything might be renewed in him? I don't know where you thought this was going this morning, but that's where it went. (laughs) If you have questions for the big three, can I get you to throw that uh, uh, slide back up again, Martin, if I can kind of throw you under the proverbial PowerPoint bus? Uh, If uh, if you want to kind of snap that QR code, uh, I said in this last week's big three, every so often we have only kind of big two and we have to kind of make up a big third. Last week was kind of uh, great. It was, I could have had the big eight if I'd wanted. I'd love if there were some questions for me to engage and interact with around influence and community or discipleship or I don't know whether you found all eight Easter eggs or whatever the case might be. We'll leave it at that. So I'll just leave that up for a moment. I'm going to invite the team up. We're going to close our service in uh, song of worship.
Uh, and uh, there will be a couple people uh, down the front who'll be willing to pray with and for you, either during this last song or immediately after the service. But uh, as we prepare for that, would you join me in prayer? Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for our world. It's a pretty fascinating and interesting place. And while there's lots that takes place that I think we're a little bit uncertain about what to do with, um, there are plenty of ways in which we can be led to reflect again on your purposes and plans, about our place within them, and about what it means to be followers of Jesus. And I pray that for each one of us, uh, that we might be committed to two things, that we might be committed to you to knowing your words and your deeds, to being aware of your plans and of your promises, of looking for ways that we can reflect that in our day-to-day interactions, and that we might likewise be committed to one another, to be a community of people who share, well, who share in common our faith in you, who share in common a sense that you invited us to participate with you, who share in common the enabling presence of the Holy Spirit. And while we might be different in so many different ways, I pray that that, those commitments to you and to one another might enable us to be, um, well, just aware of the sorts of things that we might do to bring about the restoration and renewal of all things in cooperation with your spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast. We hope you found inspiration and encouragement and God used this message to speak to you. If you want to connect more with GBC, you can follow us on social media or contact us via our website. You can also get to know some of the people from our church community through the We Are The Church podcast. Real stories of real people sharing how Jesus has shaped and transformed their life. We pray you experience the transforming power of Jesus in your life and pray that God blesses you today.